Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. Yes, what a yes, great evening. Yes. So wow. far, we're so glad that you're here tonight on First Wednesday. Uh, hopefully when you came in tonight, you, gra- you uh, were given a blank sheet of paper so you could take notes, because I'm sure there's going to be great things to take notes about. But if you didn't, our ushers are coming to pass out a, a page to you. Just raise up your hand and let them know, and they'll take care of that for you. Uh, we just want to welcome our first-time guests. Maybe you've never been here at the Father's House before, and we say welcome. We're glad that you're here. We would love for you to fill out a connection card with us, because we all fill out a connection card every week. We fill one out, place for your prayer requests, re, uh, getting different bits of information, uh, but go ahead and fill that out for us, because if it's a, if you're a first-time guest, what do we want them to do? We uh, bring it outside to the uh, balloon table. We have a gift that we'd like to give you, a little book uh, that will make a difference in your life. We also welcome those of you that are watching online. We've got a lot of people watching online tonight, and we're so blessed, and I know you're going to be blessed, and we thank you. There's a place you can fill out a connection card and any prayer requests that you have. Father's House, let's welcome those that are watching online tonight. Can we do that? Yeah. Awesome. And then we also have a, a fun thing we do called the house party every quarter. We do that for our first-time guests. If you're new, if you've never been to one, we'd love to invite you to the house party. It's on January 12th. If you could put that on the back of your card, first-time guests, uh, I'd love to come to the house party. We'll be sure and get an invitation out to you. We just appreciate our first-time guests and our new people. It, it just gives us a chance to spend some time together and get to know you. Um, I just want to remind you that social media is, is not going away not so we use it right for the glory of God we want you to be a part of what we're doing and TFH Leesburg is our name on all of the different platforms if you would go ahead and find us on Facebook on Twitter Instagram and YouTube at TFH Leesburg you can follow everything that's going on even a person who's not a techie person can figure that out have you liked us on all of those platforms? yes I have I have I'm just checking because we go as you go Okay, just one one quick thing. We want you to take, if you haven't taken a tag off of the Christmas tree yet, Project Christmas is happening. Get that tag, get the gift, bring it back by the 15th, and we want to bless our kids next door at the elementary school. We have adopted them, and every year we are giving those kids that can't have a Christmas, wouldn't be able to have Christmas because there wouldn't be any gifts for them if we didn't do that for them. So we would love for you to empty out that tree tonight and next week, I mean on Sunday, and then bring all the gifts back in. Um, I think that's it. That's awesome. Hey, you're in for a real treat tonight. Some of you, uh, how many tonight, this first time you've been to our first Wednesday service? Would you raise your hand? We welcome you. Thank you. We're so glad that you came tonight. We do this every first Wednesday. Uh, except in January, we're not doing it in January, but we pick it back up in February. It's a great time, but you're in for a real treat tonight. Uh, my dear friend, Steve Kelly, who pastors, and your friend also, yes. pastors uh, the Wave Church. A motorcycle yes. riding. 
That's friend. right. In Virginia Beach. We met Steve uh, several years ago through uh, our pastor, Rick Godwin, and our hearts just were knit together. There's sometimes you just meet people, and it seems like you've known them all your life, and the hearts are, are just there. And then Anita and I have been with uh, he and his wife, Sharon, up at their church, and uh, their heart, we came back and said their heart is the same as our heart. It's for people. It's for reaching the lost, and it's for building the kingdom of God. Um, pastors, it's a large church. They have about 10,000 people on a Sunday morning. Plus, he has multiple campuses, uh, and uh, he's an Aussie. But he was born in the Queens, but he spent most of his time in Australia, part of the Hillsong Church. Came to America, to Virginia Beach, and started a church 20-something years ago. And now it's making an impact there and just changing lives. Just got back from Uganda. Uh, with a missions trip there and then also down to South Africa and he was just sharing with us all that was going on it's just just unbelievable I love this guy and I'd like for you to stand to your feet and give him a warm father's house welcome Pastor Steve Kelly come on how you doing church you doing good Oh, it is so good. Okay, stay standing. Stay standing. We're going to pray. Stay standing. Come on, stand. Some of you, you were just ready for that seed, I'm telling you. You were just wanting to get straight into the Word, weren't you? Come on, we're going to pray, but uh, this is not the Mutual Admiration Society, I promise you, but I just love your pastors. How many honestly think they are amazing people? You know, you know when someone trusts you because today... We went riding motorcycles, and he let me ride his motorcycle. And uh, that's, 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 not a, that's, a, that's a big day in my world when I let someone ride my motorcycle. And so it's just been an awesome time. We love your pastors, and we love it. This is my first time here, so it is nice to meet you all. You have a friend in Virginia Beach who is cheering you on. Can we pray? Are you all getting used to the accent now? just want you to know this is the actual accent of heaven. This is what we will all sound like in heaven. And uh, I always joke and say, if you, I'm, I'm actually, I don't joke. If you rip me open, I will bleed red, white, and blue. Because I was born in Queens, New York, kidnapped by aliens, taken in a spaceship to some foreign place called Australia, where I picked up this funny accent but let me tell you something. I love America. How many love America? Amen. Father, as we come around your word now, I ask you, Lord, I don't ask you to anoint your word. It's already anointed. But Lord, help me and help us to hear what it is that you want to say tonight. And everybody said, now, you're ready to sit down. I can tell. But before you do, you got to turn to the person next to you, look him right in the eye and say, if you were any better looking, I'd kiss you right now. Come on. Come on, just, if you were any better looking. All right, you can be seated. Uh, I, brought, I brought some resource here. The team sent this stuff. I didn't even know they were sending it down. I just actually happened to be down here on a, on a bit of a break with my grandchildren and my wife uh, this November. We, where are we now? It's December now, yes. So I lose track of dates at the moment. But uh, this November, we celebrated our 36th wedding anniversary. And I know what you're all thinking. 
You're all thinking, I don't look old enough to be married 36 years, weren't you? Weren't you? And uh, actually, we have four grandchildren, and, uh, you know, I love them. I love them. Actually, my daughter, our very first grandchild, his name is Jax, and uh, he's four now. And so my daughter is a real health freak. She doesn't let them eat any sugar, any, you know, just, you know, just health freak. Um, me, I, I eat all the sugar I want, praise the Lord. And uh, she said to me on, on his first birthday, this is the privilege of being a grandparent. She says, Dad, this is awesome. This will be the first time Jack's. And she gave him an ice cream cake. And he'd never tasted ice cream as far as she knew. And she goes, Dad, this will be the first time Jax has ever had ice cream. And I looked at her and I said, oh, sweetheart, he's had ice cream. <laughs> Have you know what I'm talking about? And she looked at me like, what? And I said, of course. See, that's, that's the reward of being a grandparent. Amen. Being a grandparent is God's reward for not killing your children. If I knew it was so good, I would have skipped having kids, gone straight to grandparenting. So uh, anyway, you're ready for the word. I, I was thinking about what would I share tonight because there's so many great things that are in the word of God. And over 36 years of preaching the word of God, there's so many great things that God reveals to you. But I really honestly wanted a word that I felt like was a timely word and a word that was in season for you as a church. And I was praying about it, and I just, I just really felt like that, that there are times in life. How many know there's times in life when not everything goes good? Is, is anybody willing to admit that? Amen? Like, you know, I'm a faith guy. I believe in faith. Anybody believe in faith? But my faith is in God. My faith is not in faith. And so, you know, the Bible says God works good in all things. But that doesn't mean everything that happens to you is good. Amen. Like some people, I, I'm, they have faith. I pray for me. I, I, you know, I've got faith to be healed. Amen. I pray for many people who have been healed. You with me? I, I pray for a little baby boy who was 18 months old that was died that died drowned in a pool, and uh, and and the baby had been passed away for at least 45 minutes to an hour. The doctor was already there and pronounced the baby dead. And we prayed with that baby and by. I, I can prove the miracle. I can back it up. I can introduce you to the young man that I prayed for. His name, he's part of the Young and Free Hillsong team. His name's Tyler Douglas. And, and, and he's healed today. I've seen God do amazing. I've seen people healed of HIV, medically documented. A, like full documentation by a doctor about an absolute miracle of full-blown HIV. I've seen God do amazing things. But I want to tell you something. I believe that faith is wonderful, but if you are not able to embrace hard times, your faith is not real. Amen? Like if you, if you want to somehow think that faith is going to cause us to avoid the grave, sooner or later we will all go. And I will pray for you to be healed as many times as you want. Amen? But at some point, can we get real? You with me here? And so I actually want to talk to you about handling life storms because storms are meant to try to set you back. So storms, adversity is meant to try to slow you down. This message is a message about how to keep moving forwards even in the middle of a storm. Are you ready for it? Yeah. 
So we're going to read a fair bit of the Bible tonight because that's what I love to do. I love to just read the Bible and then maybe try and give some explanation of what it's trying to say. Is that good? So come with me to Acts chapter 27 and we're going to read a fair few verses and we'll have some fun with it. Are you ready? All right. You're getting used to the accent. Everybody say g'day. All right. Watch what it says. In verse 13, it says in Acts 27. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they obtained what they wanted. So they weighed the anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before long, a wind, the wind, it says, of a hurricane force. We're all familiar with hurricanes, right? Called the Northeaster. Swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and it could not head into the wind. So we, ever say we. Every say we. So we gave way to it and were driven along. And we passed to Lee, a small island called Corda, and we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. I keep saying we because the guy who wrote this is Luke, and he's actually was it there on the story. He's going, we. He was there. He was we. He was part of that we. You got it? Everybody say got it? It says, when the wind, when the, oh, praise the Lord, Siri just turned on on my iPad. It says, uh, I don't know why I did that. Maybe, anyway, we won't, we won't worry. It says, when the men hoisted the board, they were past ropes under the ship to hold it together. Fearing they'd be run aground on sandbars of citrus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. When neither the sun nor stars had appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Even Luke thought there was no hope. We finally gave up all hope. And then it says, and look what it says here in verse 21. And after the men had got a long time without food, Paul stood up and said to them, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damaging loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed, which is good news unless, of course, you own the ship. Amen. Last night, an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. And he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Now, I just want to just break in for a moment and give you a little bit of context to this, this story that I'm reading to you. Here is the Apostle Paul. He's a prisoner on a ship. And I want you to listen to how he's talking. Does he sound like he's a prisoner on a ship or does he sound like he's in charge? He's telling everybody what to do. He's talking to the, to the guards. He's talking to the sailors. But he's a prisoner. Paul is a prisoner and he's telling everybody, this is how it's going to go down. You should have listened to me in the first place. Would you? No. I mean, who am I? I'm just a prisoner. But, you know, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. Now, history tells us and scholars tell us that actually if you were ever given the task of moving a prominent prisoner from one location to another for the purpose of a trial, that there would be a guard who would be charged with his own life that if that prisoner was not successfully delivered, dead or alive, that you would answer 
for your, with your own life if he escaped. So history tells us that most prominent prisoners, such as one as Paul, would have been the guard would have chained himself to this prisoner to make sure he doesn't escape. I have a question for you. If you are the guard chained to the apostle Paul, who is whose prisoner? Amen. Now watch this here because I'm going to keep reading here. On the 14th night, this is two weeks. This is not just a little moment. On the 14th night, we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors, who? The sailors, since they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water to be 120 feet deep. Short time later, they took soundings and found it to be 90 feet deep. That's not good news when you've got no control over where you're going and you know you're going to hit shallow ground soon. Fearing that they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors, who? The sailors let down the lifeboat into the sea, pretending to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul, who's supposed to be the prisoner, said to the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you won't be saved. Are you seeing this? So what did the soldiers do based on the prisoner Paul telling them these men must stay with the ship, the sailors? And the Bible says the sailors were pretending. Have you know there's some great pretenders in church? It's like that old song by the platters. Well, oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. And we lift our hands in church. Pretending that I love you until the offering comes. Amen. And, and, and it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and Paul says, listen, unless these men stay with the ship, you won't make it. So the Bible says that the soldiers cut away the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Now look at verse 33. We're getting to the end of this story. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For 14 days, he said, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to, to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on his head. That is, unless, of course, you've already lost them. And he said this, and he took some bread. He gave thanks to God. Now look, at come down to verse 39. When daylight came, every say daylight. Isn't it good when you see daylight at the end of a storm? Could you imagine how bad this storm is? That they literally were so preoccupied with the ongoing severity of the storm that they never, ever thought to eat. I don't know about you, but that's not my problem. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That I do not have that problem. I actually, I, you know, for me, sometimes I try to fast and I forget I'm fasting. Sometimes I just said, I'm going to do a three-day fast and it's taken me 10 days to do a three-day fast because I, I wake up on day two and I forgot I'm fasting and I eat and I go, oh, I've got to start all over again. That's not my problem. Are you with me here? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking to me, not you. It's a... and, and look what he says here now. Look, look what goes on. It says, um, it, says, uh, day, it says, daylight came and they saw a sandy beach. And they decided to run the ship aground if they could, cutting loose the anchors. They left, the, the Bible says, they left them into the sea. 
And at the same time, they untied, time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. They hoisted for the foresail. If you love sailing or boating, you would really appreciate the, the detail of this story. To the wind and made for the beach. But what happens? The ship struck a sandbar and it ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. And the stern was being broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. Now look at my last verses. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away. But the centurion wanted to spare the apostle Paul's life. I wonder if this is the guy chained to him. And it says, and he kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to the land. And the rest were to get there on pieces of planks or pieces of the ship. This way, everyone reached land safely. What an amazing story. And I'm going to finish out with just a few more verses at the very end. But I want to talk to you about how to survive when life throws everything at you. What do you do when you feel like you've been shipwrecked? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily you being out at sea and being in that kind of storm. But you will have a storm of health. You'll have a storm in your family. You'll have a storm, come on, at work. You'll have a storm in relationships. There will be storms. The Bible says, count of all joy, brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds. It's not that you're not going to have them. It's just the question of how are we going to cope? Adversity, if you're looking for another title for my message, this is it. You ready for it? Adversity introduces you to yourself. You find out what kind of person you are in a storm. Are you a pretender? Amen. Are you like Luke or are you like the Apostle Paul? There's a few things I want to show you here. Are you ready for this? You all ready for this? Okay, watch this. Number one, look at the very first thing I want to talk to you about is in verse 18. We took such a violent bat battering from the storm that the next day they threw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, I guarantee you, when that cargo was coming on board, when that tackle was coming on board, it was considered to be valuable. It was considered to be essential. I guarantee you it was non-negotiable. All the things that we try to add on board to our lives that we think are really important. But when your life is in the balance, suddenly all the things that you think are non-negotiable suddenly become very disposable when your life's in the balance. The very first thing a storm's going to teach you is what are your real priorities. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You find out what's really important in a storm. The things that you thought really mattered that were very, very important suddenly become very disposable in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Okay, so that's just, a, just an introductory thought. Here's the second thing I want to do. I love this one. Watch this. Verse 20. When neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Number one, you find out what your real priorities are in a storm. But let me tell you something. Number two, listen to this. You can't let the no hopers ruin your day. See, Luke said, we finally gave up all hope. He was there. And even Luke, watch this, the guy who wrote the book of Luke, 
the guy who wrote the book of Acts, he himself said, we had no hope. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. Can I tell you, some people are so negative, if you put them in a dark room, they develop. Some people just give no hope. The doctor says there's no hope. Maybe the bank says there's no hope. Maybe the economy sometimes says there's no hope. Turn on the news right now. And it's just a bunch of no hope. Amen? You know, can I tell you something? You can't let, there's plenty of no hopers out there. But I've made a decision. I'm not going to be part of the no hopers. And even Luke, sometimes Christians can have no hope. But I love it because sometimes I talk to Christians and I go, how you doing? And they go, oh, not too bad. What kind of an answer is not too bad? What if you're not too bad? Why don't you say bordering on good? It's like, how's your job? I'm just paying the bills. Ah, uh, you know, how, how's your job? Ah, uh, you know, just, just making a living. How's your job? I hate my job. You mean the job that we prayed for two years ago that was an answer to prayer? That you thank God you got your health insurance, you get paid vacation, you got this. I mean, now all of a sudden you hate your job, the one that God blessed you with, and you can lose hope. Come on, somebody. You can lose hope in a marriage. You can lose hope for your children. You can see things happening in this nation. You could lose hope. But you can't let the no hopers ruin your day. Amen. I think about, some people say, well, Steve, you don't understand. You've got this theology of happiness. Well, actually, I do, by the way. I actually do have, I do believe it is biblical to be happy. Amen. And so I go, well, what do you mean? They go, well, I'm, you just don't relate. To, you you got to understand that I relate to Job. And I go, oh, good. Let's talk about Job. Because do you know that most scholars believe that Job's suffering was only six weeks? Six weeks is all it was. Now, don't get me wrong. He had some pain and hardship. I mean, he lost his children, for goodness sake. He lost his farm. He lost his livestock. And then he lost his own health. And the Bible says his breath was putrid. It said he had pus and sores and he stunk. And the only thing left, the only thing left was some friends. And all they could say was, it must be you're a bad sinner. And then his friends are no help to him. And then his own wife turns to him with his putrid breath and the smell and the sores. And even she looks at him and says, why don't you curse God and die? Imagine being married to that. God, of all the things you would leave, why her? No hope. Just no hope. But if you actually read the account of the life of Job, he went on and lived a whole lot longer years, and he ended up with twice as much as what he had before. If you're going to relate to Job, you better relate to the whole story in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. You can't let the no-hopers. Sometimes you got to turn off the news. Sometimes you got to stop reading the newspaper. Sometimes you just can't let no hope as people, you know, it's like Limpy the Lion. I'm dating myself here. But there's sometimes you just say something for just a few people that understand what you're saying. Anybody know who Limpy the Lion is? He's the guy, yeah, there's a few hands here. Oh dear, oh me, oh my. 
Do you know the pessimist, the optimist says, there's light at the end of a tunnel. And the pessimist says, "Mm mm-hmm, it's an oncoming train. I've made a decision. I'm not going to be part of the no-hopers. I made a decision. I don't care whether it's Christians or whether it's not Christians. I am not letting the no-hopers ruin my day in the name of Jesus. Come on. If you want to survive life's storms, come on, somebody. Don't let the no-hopers steal your hope in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. All right. Who wants number three? How many want number three? Three people. Okay. Look at this. Uh, Look at this here. I love this here. In verse 23, last night, Paul says, An angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, stood beside me. Don't be afraid, Paul. You've got unfulfilled destiny. This storm will not be the end of you. God has graciously spared you and all the people that sail with you because you've got to get to Rome. You got to stand trial before Caesar. You got more sermons to preach, more letters to write. Paul, this storm will not be the ruining of you. Amen. And listen, listen to this. You've got to understand something. When you've got unfulfilled destiny, you're unstoppable. Now, I'm a faith preacher, but let me tell you something. I don't like it when people say, if you have faith, nothing can touch you. Nothing can be further from the truth. I've discovered my faith has got me in some deep yogurt sometimes. Anybody know? And people say, if you have faith, nothing can harm you. If that's true, could you please explain to me the New Testament martyrs who died because of their faith? All they had to do was renounce and deny the faith they'd have lived. So don't tell me if I got faith, nothing can touch me. But I do believe if you've got unfulfilled destiny. Come on, somebody. An angel came. You got a Rome to get to. Everybody here has got a Rome that God has called you to. Every person here has got a destiny. That's why you got to keep living with vision. That's why you got to keep living with purpose. That's why you got to keep passion in your life. Amen. You've got something more that God has for you. Come on. You are unstoppable if you know that you're in track with what God's called you to do. Amen. Watch this. Watch. I was flying one time. Literally, I wrote this message on a plane, flying from Rome and flying into Washington Dulles Airport. This is probably, I don't know how long ago this was. It was a long time ago. And I'm flying in, and this is the absolute truth. I'm, I'm flying in, and all of a sudden, I had this young Bible college student traveling with me. And uh, he'd never traveled internationally anywhere in his life. And so we were flying into Washington, Dulles. And I guess it's about a seven-hour flight from Rome, maybe eight, seven and a half, eight hours to, from Rome to Washington, Dulles. We're about nine hours into the flight. And the captain's circling. And we know he's circling. But then it starts getting really rough. I mean, turbulence. And by the way, I like turbulence. It makes a flight more interesting. Are you hearing me? It's just like it helps put me to sleep, to tell you the truth. 
and, and the captain said, everybody, please be seated. Put your seatbelts on. And, and so we all put our seatbelts on. And it got rougher and rougher. And we're circling and we're circling. And it got rougher. And it got so rough that the captain said all the stewards and all the airline, you know, got to sit down. All the employees have to sit down. And then something really wonderful happened. Before we got on the plane, I was upgraded along with Johnny Come Lately, young Bible college student into business class. How I many know that's the will of God right there? And so I'm sitting on the back row of business class and I could hear the, the airline stewards talk to each other. And they said, I'm so scared. I've never been in a plane with this much turbulence in all my life. And one of them said, 20 years of traveling in the airlines and working for the airlines. And she goes, shh, don't let the passengers know we're afraid. And all of a sudden, we hit this massive air pocket, and a food cart went flying through the aisle and broke a woman's arm. And then one poor person didn't have their seatbelt on properly, and I, heard, I saw them fly up into, the, into the, you know, the overhead baggage and literally heard her neck crack, and she screamed. And now even the captain says, ladies and gentlemen, this is, we didn't want to tell you, but there's tornadoes off the coast, which doesn't happen in Washington, Dulles. And they said, we've got to get away from this storm. And then we kept circling. And I sat the young Bible college student sitting next to me. I thought he was going to be raptured. I've never heard a young man pray in the spirit like him. And he's praying and he's praying and the airline people are crying. And I'm sitting there, honest to goodness, on the plane, thinking to myself, Everybody on this plane should be glad I'm on it. I've got unfulfilled destiny. I've got a Rome to go to. And God has graciously spared the lives of all who fly with me. Come on, somebody. You got to know when you've got unfulfilled destiny. That's why, sadly, people often, as they get older, they lose vision. And then their life just starts to fall apart. You've got to keep vision in front of you. God has a purpose for you. Come on, somebody say amen. 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 Turn to the person next to you and say, that was, for, that, was for, that was for me. That wasn't for you. Number four, watch this. I like this one. Come here, check this one out. This one's really cool. Look at what it says here. He goes, fearing that would be dashed against rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Think about that. They're in a storm because we know the water's getting shallower. So the Bible says they dropped four anchors. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the Apostle Paul start this storm? No. You with me here? There are some storms you didn't start. Did the Apostle Paul stop this storm? No. There are some storms you just can't stop. But you can, in the middle of the storm, drop some anchors. And maybe you can't stop the storm, but you can stop the destination of where that storm is trying to lead you to. You can get some stability even in the middle of the storm. They drop four anchors trying to fasten the ship to the, to the ocean floor, and they couldn't stop the storm, but they were determined to find some stability in the storm. Amen? So what are the anchors we need to drop? The Bible says there were four anchors. 
So I thought about that. I thought, well, number one, here's the first anchor you've got to drop in a storm. Number one, you ready for it? Write this down. Prayer. You better, I, I talk to people, are you praying? No. Okay, some people, oh, when we do pray, this is how it goes. Oh, God, maybe it's a storm of finances. Oh, God, I got so many pills that even the magnet on my refrigerator has lost its power to hang on to them. Or maybe it's a health storm. Oh, God. And some people are so good at actually quoting their disease and knowing who the top specialists are. And they're, they're, they're brilliant at the research and they know more about their disease than they do the Word of God. So the first anchor you drop is prayer. The second anchor you drop is the Word of God. you got to drop that anchor. The next anchor, number three, listen to this very carefully. Listen. You've got to drop the anchor of church life. You need church. You need church. To think that you don't need church is committing spiritual suicide. Come on, somebody. Because we need church. Let me write, This is profound. You ready for this? God, oh, some of you are going to stone me when I say this. God is not all you need. Pastor, would you please explain? Let me explain it to you. When God, the Bible says when he saw Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Was God there when he said it? Like God wasn't, like he was there. He looked, God was there and he saw Adam and he goes, this isn't good. So God is not all you need. Then God said, I will make Eve, I will make a woman. See, here's the thing. God called us to be in relationship. God, God, listen, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image. You are not called to live in isolation. Some people say, all I need is God. All I need is me and God. I don't need a church. I don't need a pastor. My friend, you don't know how wrong you are. We need each other. And you've got to drop the anchor of church life. And you say, well, you don't understand. I'm going through a really hard time. And I just don't like my happy, clappy church when I'm going through a tough time. I don't want to be there and everybody's happy and clappy because I'm not happy and I'm not clappy. The best thing you can do. There are times when I've come into church as the pastor, and I'll be honest with you, I don't feel like being in church, but I'm not living by my feelings. I'm getting in the church, and I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise, and I say to my feet, if you don't dance right now, I'll make you dance through the whole song service. Get your praise on. We need each other. Amen. And here's the fourth anchor. You need friends. Good Friends, nothing worse than having wrong climbing partners. Amen. Imagine you're trying to climb some great wall and, you, and you're halfway up and you chose your climbing partner. And then you look to them and you say, I don't think I'm going to make it. And you notice they haven't even left base. They're down there and they're going, neither do I. Come back. Amen. You need someone who says, come on, man, you can do this. You were born for this. Come on, we can do this together. Amen. Well, listen, God is not all that you need. We need each other. We need the church. That's what, you are real Christians. You're out on a Wednesday night. 
All those people watching live on Facebook, man, you guys are close to the revelation. <laughs> Unless, of course, there was no way you could be here. Then you're good. But how many know it's much better live than it is watching it? Come on, give a Lord a hand. Come on, somebody. You got to drop some anchors. Drop the anchor of prayer. Drop the anchor of the Word. Drop the anchor of church life. Drop the anchor of good friends. We need each other. We're better together. Two are better than one. Oh, praise God. I'm preaching myself happy here. You want, a, you want number five? How many want number five? Let's, let's take a church vote. Okay, how many want number five? Okay, look what it says in verse 30, 30 to 32. In an, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the, the sailors rather let down the lifeboat into the sea pretending to lower some anchors. Then Paul said to the soldiers, unless these men, these sailors. Now, I, I can look honestly. I'm a boater. I'm a fisherman. I understand the sailors. They're thinking to themselves, who's he? He's a prisoner. And we've been out at sea before. We know the danger we're in. Let's get in the lifeboats. But Paul seems to be calling the shots and even the soldiers are paying attention to Paul. So this is what they're doing. Yeah, we're with you, Pastor. All the way. Jesus. I got you. And yet secretly you're going, row, row, row your boat gently. We are see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Exit stage left, snaggle puss. And we are out of here. What are we doing? Oh, what, what, what? What are we doing? We're, we're, we're just putting out some more anchors. Let's get out of here. And the Bible says the soldiers cut away the ropes. Here's what I want to say to you in a storm. you got to remove all plan Bs. See, those lifeboats was plan B. It was stay with the ship. And sometimes, let me just be really honest. I know it's not politically correct in this world to talk like this. But let me tell you something. Prenuptial agreements, as far as I'm concerned, it's a plan B. Well, we're not going to get divorced. But just in case. Well, if you're not planning on it. Come on, somebody. I had this one guy in our church. And he comes from a wealthy family. And he's, he's marrying a girl who comes from an extremely wealthy family. And so her family wanted him to sign a prenuptial agreement. And he came to me, he says, Pastor, what do I do? He goes, look, I don't, I'm, it's not as if, you know, I'm, divorce is not even in my vocabulary. It's not even a thought. It's not even an option. I love her. She loves me. What do I do? I said, well, okay, so you have no plan of ever doing that. He goes, no. I said, well, then sign it. Because if there's no plan of ever doing it, prove to the parents you have absolutely nothing but the best intentions to love this girl. Now, some of you may not like that wisdom, but that's, do you know what? By the grace of God, they're a couple. They're my, some of my closest friends. He was a professional baseballer, and he's married, his mother, and the family have all now come and said, tear up the plan B, tear up the prenuptial. We are so sorry. We judged you harshly. Can I tell you something? You got to get rid of all the plan Bs. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll come to this church, and but... If somebody gives me an opportunity to be a worship leader somewhere else, come on, somebody. If the pastor knows me by name, 
if I get a title, well, if something better comes along, come on. I, I meet so many people like, oh, man, every church I've ever been to, I've been hurt. Every church you've ever been to, you got hurt. Do you realize the only common denominator is you? And if you keep turning up at the scene of the accident, you might just want to take a good look at yourself. It's like a girl who says, every guy I've ever dated has been a loser. Every guy you've ever dated. Come on, someone. Just tap to the person in front of you on the shoulder and say, that's for you. That's I, I, I have a friend. I have one friend. And uh, he, he got saved in that church back in Australia. And he was a horse trainer. Matter of fact, he wasn't just a horse trainer. He was the number, of course, this is horse territory around here, right? He was the number one horse trainer in Australia. He taught those Andalusian horses how to dance, dressage. And the guy from the school of Vienna came over and met with this guy. And he said, that is the best horse trainer in the country by far. He was one week a Christian. And, and, and he come, moves down to where I'm pastoring. And, and we become instantly friends. He's one week a Christian, comes in the church. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, you need to train to disciple this young man. And so I did. I took him under my wing. I, I, I began to just teach him how to, you know, run a community group and how to get involved in church life and how to serve. And he was a professional horse trainer. That's what he put on all the shows all over Sydney. And so he was on TV all the time. Very, very famous, well-known person for what he did. And then two o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit wakes me up and says, you need to go pray for this guy. And I'm thinking, it's two o'clock in the morning, Holy Spirit. I'll just pray for him right here in bed. Lord, just bless him in the name of Jesus. He's asleep and let me go back to sleep. So I turned to my wife. I said, honey, I really feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to go pray for him. And she says, why would you wake me up? He never told me to go. He told you to go. So now I'm, I'm getting out of bed. I mean, this doesn't happen every day, by the way. This is not. And so I'm, I'm getting, putting my little pajamas on. I'm putting my little, you know, gown, my little night coat on and my little slippers. And I'm driving out to this. It's a 35-minute drive out to the horse farm where he lives. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? It's now 2.30 in the morning. What am I going to say? Hi, saw your lights off. Thought I'd come and pray. I'm arguing with God. God, this is the most ridiculous thing you've ever asked me to do in my life. And I headlights shine into the field, and there is this young man kneeling over his horse that he called John 3.16. His goal was to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal and give the glory for God to God for his and I and I'm standing with him, and the horse is dying right before his horse, the dream horse. He, the people he trained won the gold medal at the Olympics, and he was better than his horse. His dream died right before his very eyes. And I'm standing there, and I'm saying, mate, I don't know what to say to you. And I'm thinking what he should be saying to me is, what are you doing here at 2.30 in the morning? He's just crying. And I thought, how good is God that he would wake me up and have me to go? Because this young man, his name's Gary, his dream's dying. And I looked at him, I said, and Gary, I'm sorry, man, I'm just glad I'm here. And he looked at me, and he had tears in his eyes. This horse was valuable beyond words. 
And he says, no, it's okay, Steve. I know what's happening. I said, good. Would you explain it to me? Because I just want to go back to bed. He goes, John 3.16 was my plan B. God called me to preach and be in ministry of pastoring. And I always thought, I don't know if I have what it takes. I'm scared. So I always had John 3.16 to fall back on. He goes, I'm not saying God killed my horse. God wouldn't do that. Do you know who that young man was, who he is today? The senior pastor of London Hillsong Church. His name's Gary Clark. One of the largest churches in all of England. I want to say to someone here today, listen to me. In the storm, you got to cut the ropes. you got to remove all the plan Bs. If God's called you to be a part of this house, then you be a part of this house. Come on. If God's called you to be here, then do everything you can to be here. Come on. Somebody give the Lord a hand. Aha! My time's up. Just before dawn. Paul urged them all to eat. For 14 days, you've been in constant suspense. You've gone without food. Here's what a storm tries to do. Listen to me now as I close. A storm tries to get your whole life out of center. And here's what I want to say to you. In the storm, you've got to stick to the basics. Eating food, go to bed. I know that sounds funny, but go to bed. Don't sit up watching TV at all hours of the night and get your sleep patterns out of ruin. And then you go to work tired. You see, that's the plan of a storm, is to throw your whole life out of center. And here's Paul just going, come on, food. You need it to survive. Amen? You got to stick to the basics. We need each other. We need friends, good friends. Stick to the basics. Don't let the storm put you out somewhere that God never called you to be. Somebody say amen. And here's my last one. Watch this. Look at it. It says, when daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay and a sandy beach, and they decided to run the ship aground. Here's what you got to do. You've got to embrace the daylight. There's going to come an opportunity in the middle of the storm where suddenly, here's I've noticed a lot of Christians are not good with good. You got to get good with good. When God brings good in your life, you're so used to bad. Never waste a crisis. There's always something to learn in a storm. When daylight came, you got to embrace the daylight. Don't be one of those people who go, oh, what next? Oh, that always happens to me. That's the story of my life. Embrace the daylight. Get good with good. Some people are addicted to a crisis. If there was no crisis, they create a crisis because they're more comfortable and familiar in a crisis than they are the daylight. Come on, someone. You got to get good with good. God is good. And what He does is good. Can you say amen? And watch now because I'm landing this plane. Watch this here. Watch this. Give me. Look at this. Acts 28. I didn't read it before, but I'm going to read it now. In verse 1. It says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders were unused, showed unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed us. It was raining and it was cold. And Paul, remember the guy who, remember this guy? Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and he put it on the fire. And a snake was driven out by the heat. And fastened itself to his hand. You show me a church that's got a bit of fire in it. And I'll show you a serpent that'll come out every time. The serpent reveals itself in a fire.
Amen. But I love this. After all they've been through, daylight. It's like Paul. Here he goes. Oh, thank God. Oh, I mean, seriously, after everything we've been through, now there's a beautiful fire. I'm here. I'm warming my hand by the fire. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody made it. Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, bang, a snake. The Bible says that the islanders knew the snake. And when they saw the snake that bit him, they said, this man must be a terrible sinner. Even though the storm, he was spared from the storm, the gods have judged him. They knew the snake. They knew he died. But the apostle Paul, he's this snake hanging off his hand. And he looks at it and goes, look at me. Do you have any idea what I've just been through? Two weeks, I told them not to go in the first place. Would they listen to me? No, they wouldn't listen to me. And if you think after everything I've been through, that you think you're going to come and try to be the ruining of me, the Bible says he shook off the snake. And then the islanders went, he must be a god. Because he's alive. What you got to do is shake off the adversity. When you come out of the storm, the enemy will give you one more shot to try and put you right back in the middle of it. And you got to shake it off. Come on, everybody, get your hand. Just say, shake it off. Come on, somebody say, shake it off. Turn to the person next to you and say, shake it off. Come on, you got to shake it off in Jesus' name. Oh, here it goes again. No, 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 no. Shake it off in Jesus' name. Oh, well, you know, people say, someone died. They goes, oh, things happen in three. We'll look for the next two people that die. Do you know that person that says, you know, I always get the long, the long line at the checkout? It always happens to me. I always pick the slow lane on the interstate. And as soon as I get in what I think is the fast lane, then that other lane opens up. It always happens to me. Shake it off. <coughs> shake it off. Come on, somebody, shake it off. Do you receive the word? My time is up. Can I pray for you? Did that help anybody tonight? Come on, you want to keep moving? You want to keep going? You got a city to save here? Amen. You got unfulfilled destiny? I don't know any one of those points, which one spoke to you specifically. But I've absolutely no doubt the Holy Spirit put that word in my heart for you. And I want to pray for people tonight. Would that be okay? It'd be a terrible thing to preach the word and not pray, wouldn't it? Amen. The Bible says God confirmed His Word with signs and wonders. And I believe God's going to confirm His Word tonight in people's lives. If that message was a message for you, you really felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, come on, that's you now. I don't know what it was. Maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit's such a good preacher. Sometimes I'm just the guy here speaking, and the Holy Spirit's saying something entirely different to you. I love that. I want to pray for you tonight. If you say, Steve... I really felt like I got something from God tonight. I really felt like there was, a, there was something there that's going to help me in making an adjustment to my life to make sure I come out of this in Jesus' name. But by the way, if you're not in one, wait. Amen? If you're not in one, take notes of this. So when it comes, you'll know what to do when it comes. Don't wait for adversity to come to find out what's in you. In Jesus' name. Amen? Can we all stand up?
Come on, everybody. You've been sitting down for a good 40 minutes now. You need to stand. Have a big stretch. Come on, have a big stretch. Everybody have a big stretch. Come on, one more time. Shake it off. Shake it off. That's the word of the Lord for at least five people here tonight. At least five people. You, you've been in a storm. And I believe the Lord's saying to you, come on, you've got to shake that off now in Jesus' name. You got to, the enemy's come one more time. There's just been another setback, another thing. Just when you got your hope up, something happened that set you back. And I believe the Holy Spirit's saying to you tonight, listen to it. Hear the word of the Lord. Shake it off. In Jesus' name. Somebody here, God's speaking about just making sure you stay on course with your vision and your destiny. Don't lose that. By you not fulfilling your destiny, others will perish. Come on. Somebody here, God's speaking to you about dropping some anchors. Come on. Somebody here, God's speaking to you. Listen to this. About needing church. Church is not optional, friend. Look at me. Look at me. I'm the pastor of a large growing church, but I need church more than anybody. Are you hearing me? I need this. If I'm a leader, if I'm anything that God's made me what I am, I've learned all of it by being part of the church. Amen. I love the church. How many love the church? Amen. How many love the church? Come on. Maybe you got to cut off the no-hopers. Amen. And sometimes you can't cut your spouse off, family off. But you can cut the voice off. Amen. I'm just, I'm going to cut that voice off in the name of Jesus. I'm not listening to that voice anymore. Amen. That message spoke to you. Put your hand in the air. I mean, let me just say. <laughs> I was going to get you to come to the front. But just about everybody in the whole church, Terry. What a great church. You guys are so open. Amen. Can we do it? Can we? Well, okay. Seriously, if you really felt like that's a word in season for you, I just really got in my heart to just pray for you down the altar here. I, I, I believe in altar calls, but I don't believe in just for the sake of having altar calls for the sake of it. I believe altar calls should alter your call. You, and if you just felt like that was an altar call message, I want you to come down here and I want you to respond to the word of the Lord. As we sing, just one song. I'm going to pray for you as we sing. Come on, just come on. Give them a hand as they come on. You really felt like that was a word in season. Come on, a word in season. A timely word. A timely word. Amen. Anybody else? Come on, come on. We're going to sing a song, just one song, and then I'm going to pray. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps will be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.